Good morning. Uh, my name is Jen Miller, and I have the privilege of working with the youth and children here at Northwest, um, and also the privilege of speaking with you this morning from God's Word. I sound a little, am I in a bad spot? I feel like I'm ringing. Maybe you don't hear my ringing. I might just hear it. Um, this morning we're continuing, actually I think finishing up the Advent song series. Uh, last week I got to share with you about the angel's song, and this week um, we're going to be looking at Simeon's uh, song found in Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 35, or 25 through 35. So if you want to turn there, uh, if you have your Bibles, that's awesome. If not, you can just have uh, some good listening ears to hear what God's Word has to say this morning. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servants in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Would you join me as I pray for our time in God's word? Dear God, I thank you for this morning and this opportunity to gather together in, in person and online as we just spend some time in your word and ask that you would open our hearts to what you would have to speak to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Waiting. We all do it. We can spend up to half of our lives waiting. We have waiting rooms and waiting lines. We have to wait to be seated. We wait on the phone to speak to the operator. Sometimes it seems that all we do is wait. Our life is often one mad rush to get from one wait to another, from one line to another. A report from a few years ago said that on average we spend six months sitting at stoplights and over five years waiting in line. Five years of life in line. And there are sayings which we have all heard that good things come to those who wait and that some things are worth waiting for. And if good things come to those who wait, is there anything that you would be willing to wait your entire life for? It would have to be something really good, right? What if somebody offered you $10 million and you just had to wait for it for your entire life. Would you be willing to wait, do nothing else, basically wait in a line for your entire life for $10 million? Maybe you're thinking, you bet I would. But what good is $10 million going to be if you only get to have it for about one minute before you die? It doesn't do much for you at all. And I don't think I would want to wait my entire life for $10 million. I would think that my time is more valuable than that. But there are things that I'm waiting my entire life for, and I'm not alone in this waiting line. If I was given the offer to wait for my entire life for the same thing that Simeon waited for, I would gladly do it. We are introduced to Simeon in verse 25 of chapter 2 in Luke. In the first half of the verse there, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
So here we meet the man we're looking at today, and right away we learn two physical truths about him. First, he was living in Jerusalem, which was the political and religious center of Israel at the time, and still is today. Simeon was where all the action took place. But more importantly, we learn that his name was Simeon. The name Simeon means God has heard. And we will see today that God heard Simeon's prayer and the prayers of many others during this time and was sending them the greatest answer to prayer ever seen. So those are the two physical characteristics. More intriguing, we find in the second half of that verse and in verse 26, are Simeon's spiritual characteristics. It says, And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The first spiritual characteristic was that he was just and devout, or righteous and devout. The word just or righteous shows his obedience of the word of God toward other people. The word devout expresses his obedience of the word of God towards God. He knew what the Bible said, and he did it. Again, such obedience is a prerequisite for being used greatly by God. Now, it was the hope and prayer of every Jew that the Messiah would come and bring peace and comfort to the people of Israel. And Simeon was like all other Jews in this regard. We say in verse 25 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is a reference for Jesus and is a frequent theme found in Isaiah chapters 40 through 66. Isaiah says the Messiah would come, and so Simeon was waiting for him. Sometimes that's what God calls us to do, to wait. It's not a glamorous task. It's not one that gets anyone a lot of attention. But sometimes all God wants us to do is wait. In fact, I think that's a part of every Christian's maturing process. There's always a period of waiting, a feeling like we've been put on the back burner or forgotten backstage. We know that God has gifted us and called us to do something great, but it doesn't seem like anything is happening in that direction. And that might be because God is calling you to wait. It's God teaching you patience. And all too often, if you do not wait, if you try to step out and do what you want, or even you think you know what God wants for you, but you don't want to wait for his timing, you end up falling flat on your face. But you know, these times of waiting can be incredibly fruitful times. So enjoy them. Learn as much as you can from during those times. Become as much like Jesus as you can. If you choose to wait for God's timing, similar to uh, a tree planted by streams of water that bring forth fruit in his season, God will be with you. He will bring forth from your life what he has planned. And that's what Simeon did. God wanted him to wait for Jesus, and he did. Patiently waiting is a wonderful spiritual characteristic to have. Not an easy one, but a wonderful one. The third spiritual characteristic of Simeon was that the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is significant because at the time in God's history, not all believers had the Holy Spirit upon them. The Holy Spirit could come on a person for a while and then could leave later. That's why David prayed in Psalm 51, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Prior to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, not all believers had the Holy Spirit. He came upon a few and sometimes only for a short while. But now, today in the church age, the Holy Spirit dwells within all believers. But before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon certain individuals for certain tasks and responsibilities. Simeon, however, was one of those privileged saints prior to Pentecost who had the Holy Spirit. That means Simeon was specifically chosen by God to do something very specific for God. And we learn what that task is in verse 26. It says, 
and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon had been told by God that he would not die until Jesus Christ came. That is quite a promise of God to Simeon. We don't know exactly how old Simeon was here. There's some tradition that says he was, could have been around 113 years old, um, but there's no exact um, age or birthday for him. And so Simeon had been waiting for God for much of his life. And he believes, he knows in his heart that he will see the Christ before he dies. If I was alive at the time and I knew this about Simeon, I would have hung out with Simeon all the time. I would have never left his side. I would have wanted to be there when he saw the Christ. The question, though, is why would God tell Simeon this? Why did God think it was important for someone to be there to see Jesus Christ? Why is it so important for Simeon to spend his whole life waiting just to see the Messiah? It's incredible, but what's the point? The point is found in Deuteronomy 19.15, where we read that on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a matter be confirmed. Simeon was one of the three witnesses that God used to confirm that Jesus Christ the Messiah had come to Israel in the flesh. The shepherds were the first, Simeon is the second, and later in Luke chapter 2 we find Anna who was the third. Simeon needs to do his witnessing. Witnessing speaks, witnesses speak to what they have seen and heard and Simeon needs to speak. So this is what he does in Luke 27 through 35. The wait is over, and God has called upon Simeon to speak, and Simeon, though he's been on the sidelines for so long, steps forward to be that witness. His witnessing was about two things. First, he blesses God. He thanks God for sending the Messiah. In verses 27 through 32, it says, So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, they were there to redeem Jesus for five pieces of silver. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which has been per prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon recognizes in verse 29 that his life of waiting for the Messiah was according to the word of God. Everything he was doing was according to God's word. If God's word had not said it, you most likely can't trust it. Simeon did have the word from God that he would live to see the Messiah, and now he says he can depart in peace. He can die now. His life is complete. In verse 30, Simeon is ready to depart because he has seen your salvation. Whenever you see the words salvation or save in the Bible, it's important to ask yourself, salvation from what or save from what? In Luke 1, we saw that both Mary and Zechariah, but especially Zechariah, looked upon Jesus as the coming Messiah who would deliver them from Roman rule and who would conquer the enemies of Israel. They thought Jesus was coming to conquer. And Jesus will do that when he comes the second time. But his first coming was about defeating sin and death. His second coming will be to rule and reign, but his first was to suffer, to serve, and to die. It appears that Mary and Zechariah had these comings somewhat confused. But Simeon sees the truth. We know this for two reasons. First, because of what he says in verses 31 through 32. This salvation, Simeon says, has been prepared before the face of all people and is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is showing that he understands that Christ is coming not to deliver the Jews from their enemies and place Israel at the head of the nations over all the Gentile nations, 
but instead that this salvation is for all people and will bring revelation to the Gentiles. You see, most Jews, when they thought of the Messiah, thought he was coming just for them and just to crush the Gentiles under his feet. But in contrast to this, there were some in Israel who had no dreams of violence or of powers of armies and banners. They believed in a life of constant prayer and quiet watchfulness until the Messiah would come. All their lives, they waited quietly and patiently upon God. And Simeon was one of those people. He understood from the word of God what most Jews in that day had missed. He understood that Jesus came to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the Gentiles, to reveal himself to the Gentiles. And he would do this through suffering as a servant, dying on the cross, and then being raised from the dead. And how thankful all of us should be that this is why he came the first time. I believe that Simeon partially understood the purpose of Christ's first coming, and he reveals it here by what he says in thanksgiving to God. But Simeon isn't done. He next turns to bless Mary and Joseph in verses 33 through 35. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That doesn't sound like much of a blessing, does it? Well, actually, it doesn't appear that the blessing of Simeon to Mary and Joseph is recorded here. We should read the passage as if it was saying that Simeon blessed them, and then after he was done doing that, he speaks these words we find in verses 34 and 35. The words of Simeon to Mary about a sword piercing her own heart is a prophecy about Christ's coming crucifixion on Calvary's cross. It would be the most tragic event in the life of Mary, and yet at the same time, the greatest event. Many people watched Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, and afterwards, many has felt as though a sword had pierced their own soul. But there's a caution in such movies that we should always remember. There's a danger of dwelling too much on the death of Christ, too much if we don't also emphasize his resurrection. Paul says, if Christ was not raised, we are still in our sins. Now, thankfully, that movie does include the resurrection. But however painful it was for you to watch the movie, don't let yourself feel sorry for Jesus. Don't let your neighbors feel sorry for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want anybody to feel sorry for him. He didn't come to get your sympathy. He came to get your faith. He came to get your life. And though it's okay to shed tears and be grateful for what Christ did on the cross, but remember the words that Jesus said to some of those in Jerusalem who were crying about him when he was on the cross. He said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. If you have tears for Jesus, shed them also for yourself and for your family, and for those around you who have not yet known salvation. The rest of Simeon's words to Joseph and Mary are again an indication that Simeon knows what Jesus has come for. Not to raise up Israel and deliver them from Roman rule, but to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be spoken against. The results will be that many hearts will be revealed. This is exactly what happens in the life of Christ. Most of the leaders of Israel reject him, and so they fall from their positions. Many of the poor accept him and so are risen to leadership in the church. And Jesus was definitely spoken against by many. This is what Luke is saying happens when the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of the world. Luke invites us to watch throughout the story as the prophecies come true. Mary will look on in dismay as her son is rejected by the very city to which he offered the way of peace. By the very people he had come to rescue. Finally, the child who, as Simeon says, placed here to make many in Israel rise and fall again, 
himself passes through death and into resurrection and taking with him the hopes and fears of the city, the nation, and the world. But if Luke is coloring a picture with dark notes of suffering, he also showed that the kingdom brought by this baby is not for Israel only, but for the whole world. Simeon had grasped the truth at the heart of the Old Testament, which Luke is careful to note that Jesus and his parents fulfilled when they brought Jesus to the temple, that when Israel's history comes to its God-ordained goal, then at last light will dawn for the world. All the nations, not just the Jews, will see what God is unveiling. A plan of salvation for all people without distinction. This will be true glory. This will be the true glory of Israel itself. To have been the bearer of the promise. The nation in, in and whom from the true world ruler would arise. A light for revelation to the nations and glory for your people Israel. This is not the story of revelation of the, the world was expecting and not the sort of glory Israel wanted. But it was the true revelation and the true glory nonetheless. And Luke adds yet another human dimension to the story. By the time the first two chapters are finished, almost all of his readers have found someone in the story with whom they can identify. We have met the older couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah, surprised to have a child at last. We have seen the young girl, Mary, even more surprised to have a child so soon, and her husband, Joseph, coming with her to the temple, offering the specific sacrifice. And in the concluding verses of Luke chapter 2, we will see Jesus himself on the threshold of young adult life. And in this passage, we have the old man and woman, later Anna, waiting their turn to die, worshiping God night and day, praying for the salvation of his people. Luke wants to draw readers of every age and stage of life into his picture. No matter who you are or where you are, the story of Jesus, from the feeding trial in Bethlehem to the empty tomb and beyond, can become your story. In becoming your story, it will become your vocation. Everybody has their own role to play in God's plan. For some, it will be active, obvious, working in the public eye, perhaps preaching the gospel or taking the love of God to meet the practical needs of the world. For others, it will be quiet, away from the public view, praying faithfully for God to act in the fulfillment of his promises. For many, it will be a mixture of the two, sometimes one, sometimes the other. Mary and Joseph needed Simeon and Anna that moment. The old man and the woman needed them and had been waiting for them and now even thanked God for them. Simeon had waited his whole life for that moment in the temple. He got to fulfill his role in God's plan by waiting, by being patient and obedient, things that are not always easy. So consider what role do you have to play in God's redemption story? We are no longer people waiting on our Savior to come. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us in the lowly manger 2,000 years ago. And he is calling us now to be a part of his redemption story. Just as each of the people in Luke 1 and 2 had a role to play, so do we, so do you. Whatever role God has called you to play, whether you're in a season of waiting or you're being called to action, you have a place in this story. As the worship team comes to close our time together, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider what that role may be. How God, how the God that is now here with us and working through us to redeem his creation can use you. As we go from here this morning, I encourage you to remember that our God, that Emmanuel, he is with you. In the actions, in the call, and in the waiting, he is calling you to be a part of his plan. May his peace and his presence be with you as you go.
Amen.